Have you ever found yourself deep in the rabbit hole with questions that no one seemed to have the answers to? Join us every other Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time for our Ask Me Anything series with author and researcher Zen Garcia as he sheds light on the mysteries which have us all searching together. Awesome. We are live. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us for our 40th episode of Ask Me Anything with Sen Garcia. This is your host, Joy Garcia, and I'm so excited to be here with my friend and father-in-law, Zen Garcia. How are you doing tonight, Zen? I am doing great, and I just wanted to uh, wish Justin happy belated birthday. And I'm just honored to be your dad and to have watched both of you grow and evolve as a couple uh, in service to the Most High. I'm um, greatly honored to be part of your journey together in doing this work. It's really incredible. I'm so fortunate, so blessed. Thank you so much, then, for your kind words. Thank you for doing your part to bring Justin into this world. (laughs) We're blessed that, um, yeah, that you were chosen by God to be his dad. How exciting. (laughs) Um, But yes, I will go ahead and quickly pray for us and we'll get into the questions. Sounds good. Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here tonight. We thank you for allowing us to devote our lives to you, Father, to be able to do this full time, to be able to just study your word and support Zen and and sharing his research and knowledge with everyone. We ask that this night would be a blessing to many, and we thank you so much for giving the curiosities to all the people who've sent in their questions, we ask that you would continue to utilize us in whatever way possible. We thank you for this time. We thank you for Zen. In Yahushua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. First question is, in Revelation 1-7, it says, Every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him. What does this mean by even those who pierced him? Because I know the wicked who pierced him won't take part in the first resurrection. Um, well, I think uh, it could specifically be in mention with uh, Longinus, who was the, um, the soldier, the Thracian soldier that pierced the side of Christ and who afterwards came to be a believer and a disciple and then sought out the relationships of the apostles. And in doing so, he um, specifically in the Chronicles of Longinus, which not a lot of people know about, but it's part of the Thracian Chronicles. And I do have very good news for those that have been inquiring and asking about. Um, We did hear from the Thracian Church, and we have scheduled a couple of shows um, upcoming soon. And so 
people can inquire directly to them as to when this material will be available. But in one of those texts, the Chronicles of Longinus, it describes, you know, again, his piercing the side of Christ and seeing all of the wonders that took place in the heavens and in the earth in which, you know, the earthquake and the three hours of darkness, uh, the moon rising blood red and uh, all the stars coming out uh, in midday, uh, all of these really incredible signs. And so he, um, when he, especially when he pierced the side of Christ, some of the blood dribbled into his eye and he had been blinded from a previous war injury and he was healed and regained his sight. And so he, as I said, became a believer and a disciple uh, even, and then began to hang out with the apostles. And in the 18 chapters that make up the Chronicles of Longinus, which I've released in audio form, and people can find it on our our YouTube channels, um, in in the playlist of the Thracian Chronicles, um, it describes his... Um, seeking out and hanging out and sharing dialogue with the apostles and and then speaking directly to Lazarus and Lazarus describing his resurrection and his being called out from the darkness of Sheol where he was frightened out of his mind and scared and just, um, you know, just the whole feeling of gloom and doom and then when Christ came for him and he saw the light and the might of his presence and he was pulled out of the bondage of Sheol uh, he describes you know this incredible story to Longinus and that was one of the reasons also that he came to believe and then in after having um, dedicated his life he also was counted to be a saint. Uh, and this is found, you know, he was a Thracian soldier and serving Rome, and he quit in that role and then started to teach others about uh, Christ being the Son of God and the Savior Messiah. And so it could be specific to his story, uh, which, again, is an incredible um, as far as even like last night, Rob and I were talking about Paul and how he was utilized to be an apostle unto the Gentiles and that he was specific from being a murderer of the prophets and how he was present and even held the, the long coats and the robes of the Pharisees that were stoning Stephen and that stoned him to death, that he was complicit in many of the murders of the Christians that were coming together as a church and as a a group, and that, um, you know, then he became uh, and was chosen by Yahushua to be a witness and to suffer for his namesake. And so um, that could be possibility of, you know, another um, connection to the amazing turnaround 
of an individual that was a soldier and in service to Rome in similarity to Paul. And he specifically was the one that did pierce him. And so, um, who knows? It could be also specific to a group. Um, and even John was there in the story of how he was given uh, that he was told to become the guardian and the caretaker of the Virgin Mary, that Christ said to him, um, this is your mother, and, you know, mother, this is your son. And so he placed the Virgin Mary um, into his protection, and he was there also witness to the the piercing of Christ, and we know that he was the one that received the revelation of Yahushua as recorded uh, in the last chapter of the the Bible, and that um, you know that he will be also one of those that will witness again, and he did witness also in the vision of being and given uh, that particular as far as the vision of the end times and sharing and writing it down for all of us. And so different interpretations, um, but I do have a sense that because it is specific to the one that pierced them, that Longinus, and again, he would be a saint and he was part, um, is part of those that are, you know, worthy and numbered amongst the elect. And so he is part of the wheat, um, and I'm sure that he will also uh, be witness to his second re- second advent and to his return. Thank you. Next question is from Aileen. What is, val- what is the value in studying the Gnostic texts? I have heard that the Gnostic texts are very valuable because they contain secret knowledge. However, it seems to me that there is no secret knowledge in these texts. Instead, it is just the enemy spinning the Bible. For example, the Demiurge as Yahweh knocked down one level in the Pantheon, but in reality, it is Satan. The only value I can think of it is that it provides an insight into the texts the enemy uses in their teachings. Well, first off... um what you said about the Demiurge being Yahweh is completely false. And that's not at all what it says in the Gnostic text. In fact, the the name for the Demiurge is Yaldabaoth, Saklas, Samael, uh, which Saklas means blind fool, Yaldabaoth means child passed through here, and Samael is the angel of death, the viper of God, the venom of God, and it's also the name for Satan that is cited specifically in the Targum in Genesis 3.6 for the serpent that uh, beguiled Eve. And so the this particular person is believing what the so-called Gnostic experts teach about the text um, and then, you know, saying, this is what I've heard. Well, um, I don't trust what people say about anything. I tend to read and study them for myself. And as I said, the 
all of the so-called Gnostic experts, they cite that the Demiurge is Yahweh of the Old Testament, but again, that's completely wrong, and that's not at all what the texts say. And with regard to the secret teachings, that's exactly what they themselves state. Uh, in many of the manuscripts, uh, they these teachings are those that were given to the apostles after the resurrection of Christ. And this is when he was no longer speaking to them in parable, but interpreting to them exactly uh, as he saw with regard to certain advanced aspects of teachings. And in Second Esdras, we see that even Esdras, in being given and restored the, the Word and the Holy Scriptures that were burnt with the destruction of the temple, that he was told to keep two-thirds of them um, only for the elite, only for the elect, and to not share them with the masses. And so, uh, in my opinion, these texts do make up a portion of those manuscripts, in my opinion, because, again, it says, um, you know, that many of them, this is the secret book of John or the secret book of James or whatever, whatever. But I do find in studying and reading them that many of them do reveal aspects that the mainstream church and the majority opinion does not accept with regard to truth. And these concepts are things that I teach a great deal upon. For instance, a serpent seed, um, the aspect of pre-existence, election, predestination, um, and the uh, as far as you know, things like the war in heaven. Uh, these things are are forgotten or limited uh, in aspect within the canonical materials, or even though they're encoded there they are forgotten to such a degree that these beliefs are now contrary to what the mainstream teaches and what the majority believes. And yet these things were common knowledge in the ancient times. And even in studying the opinions of the church fathers, you will find that many of them do ascribe to and teach uh, even things like the Holy Spirit being feminine. And so... And these things are also, as I said, preserved within the Gnostic materials. But I'm not saying at all that, you know, all of them are inspired. Certainly there are things that have been altered, things that have been changed. And there are some manuscripts which are not in line with Scripture. But one has to, um, you know, again, ha has to be careful in reading and studying everything. That includes even the canonical materials, because I do find that the canonical materials have been also altered and changed to some degree by the lying pen of the scribes and those that have translated that have removed uh, the word of the Lord and allusion to Christ all throughout the, uh, the histories and the generations of the children of Adam. Um, and, you know, again, things like what is clear in the Targum on the differentiation between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, these are things that are still encoded within the 
of the King James Version of the Bible, but um, there are passages and things that have been removed or changed to hide certain revelations. And so the thing that I think is most important in studying, not just the Gnostic text, but all texts in, in general, is that in doing so, one learns to put together what is the puzzle of truth, which underlies all things. And that reading and studying everything, you get a feel for, and you are led by the Holy Spirit to discern on what is truth and what isn't. And so that's the most important aspect, in my opinion, of studying everything, to not only show yourself approved, but in doing so, you are knocking, seeking, and will be led to find. And God, in in for somebody that commits themselves to, to study and to seeking truth, that is the way that he will lead them to discernment. And so that's also a way that we can personally commit to relationship with the Most High. And it is, in my opinion, studying his word that the truth is revealed unto us. And so, um, you know, I, I believe that people should read and study everything that they can get their hands on because historically truth has always been hidden from us and all of the manuscripts that we have access to now um, it's not only an incredible blessing but I do believe there will be a time where the easy access that we have now will be cut off and we are already seeing even in YouTube and searching for specific videos um, that these things are becoming increasingly difficult. And that I, you know, even in studying and knowing my own work, I'm not able to locate certain videos because of the, um, the way that they have set up the, the search now and the way that they have buried truth and the way that they have provided disinformation and easy access to it and all the corporations and all those um, you know mainstream propaganda channels those things are gleaned as truth and made easily accessible to the masses and so you know the real truth is being suppressed and hidden and so even a lot of ancient text which was available uh, a decade ago many of those things are no longer available and thank god uh at the time i did make copies of a lot of material that people now have very difficult time finding and publishing and making that available to you um i believe that is part of the whole thing of the spirit of god being poured out on all flesh and that truth being unveiled in the fig tree the end time generation and so you know use that access and study and read as much as you can uh, and in my, in my opinion you will be led in closer relationship to the most high and also be led in discerning truth for yourself without 
having to uh, trust others' opinions, even that of myself. Thank you. Next question is from Michael. I've heard you mention that Mary never knew a man. How do you square that with Matthew one twenty-five, which I should have pulled up earlier, but it says, uh, let's see. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Uh, let's see. We should try to pull up more context. Well, I, I do believe I understand the context okay, because perfect. I've been asked this previously. And what the what people believe the text is implying there in Matthew is that once Mary did bring to birth Christ and in Immaculate Conception, even though a lot of people, you know, believe that. Christ was, you know, naturally conceived and that he was just another human child and that he didn't receive his anointing until the baptism. See, all these things are false. And the implications that Joseph uh, conceived children with Mary is also false. And that's one of the reasons why it's important to study the infancy gospels and to get multiple witness First on that, Joseph, when he was given to be guardian and caretaker of Mary and became the caretaker of Christ after he was immaculately conceived, he was already an elderly and widowed man and that he had children from a previous marriage. And Mary uh, is proven in many, many ways, even by the priesthood, uh, the Pharisees, and people can read this on the priesthood of Jesus Christ, that she was found to be and affirmed to be a virgin, and that even after the conception of Christ, Salome, who was her cousin and who was also a midwife, uh, she affirmed, as did another midwife, I uh, forget the name of the, the lady that was there, but she was also present. There were two midwives present when Christ was immaculately conceived, and they affirmed afterwards that Mary was a virgin, and there's very detailed aspect of that story revealed in multiple confirming witnesses within the infancy Gospels. And again, another reason why people would want to study and read this material is because there's only one account of the youth and the childhood and the no-infancy stories of Christ um, other than, you know, he was born. But there are literally dozens and dozens of manuscripts which detail and elaborate on this period of his life and that talk about even the, the special nature of Mary and why she was chosen to be a vessel of honor and that she had committed herself to being and remaining pure and to never knowing a man. And this is, in fact, true, that she stayed and remained steadfast to her vow throughout her whole life, which is why they referred to her as the virgin. Even in her elderly age, she was also always 
affirmed as being the Holy Virgin Mary. And so um, whatever the implications there in Matthew, those are wrong. Because again, if you study and look at and read the ancient sources, Joseph never knew her. He was already an elderly widowed man. And he had passed away even in the early uh, life of Christ, which is why when Yahushua was crucified on the cross, uh, he was, Mary was given unto the care of John, um, you know, John, uh, the Apostle John, and he became the caretaker of the Virgin Mary after Christ had passed away and then later was resurrected. And so, you know, these stories are found in great detail. The Gospel of Gamaliel cover this, covers this in great detail uh, as well. But, you know, again, even the virginity of Mary and her perpetual status as a virgin was confirmed. And you can find these ancient sources. We did publish on the priesthood of Jesus Christ in the introduction for my son's newest book, uh, The Word of the Lord, uh, Comparative Analysis of the Hidden Memra, which shows how over 200 times the Word of the Lord has been removed from translation in the King James Version of the Bible, but that in the Aramaic Targum, um, it remains... And you can find, you know, and, and look at the comparative analysis because he did bring forth the original passages in the Aramaic and shows to you where they've been removed in the English. And this is also done for Psalms, that there are over 60 times where the same thing occurs within the Psalms, where the word of the Lord is removed in context from specific scriptures. And so, um, you know, again, important reasons to study the ancient manuscripts. We are currently in our Digital Readers Club. Every Saturday we gather from uh, 7 to 8.30, and we are reading and studying right now the Infancy Gospels. And we've done this already for a a number of weeks, and you know, again, the important reasons why to study and, and investigate and read this book is because these things like, you know, the belief that Joseph had children with Mary and, and that Mary, you know, had other children other than Christ, these are all lies. They're, they're false. And so people are caught up in believing such lies because they don't know different and better. And... Uh, again, there are multiple sources out there available that if people just read and study them, you'll come to know better. Thank you. Next question is from Henningers. Regarding and also afterwards in regard to the Nephilim, since it seems highly unlikely that there was a second incursion of fallen angels due to the lack of any historical reference to such, what do you think of the theory that the water-based Nephilim, like dragon, the mermaids, etc., 
where the genetic source material for the and also afterwards beings that later spawned the giants Anakim Og et al. Um, well, I think that certainly these particular hybrid beings had a part to play in the continuation of the Nephilim bloodline um, post-flood. However, it, in my opinion, the giants that came about and the generations like Goliath that came about um, after the flood of Noah's day were born from the interactions of like Og who was spared and who rode atop the ark during the the flood and was fed by the hand of Noah and this is confirmed in the Perkti Rabbi Eleazar as well as the um, uh, the the Targum and I do write about a great deal about this in the last chapter of the great contest too the enmity between the seed lines on how the serpent seed and the giants survived the flood of Noah's day. Um, but that Og and his interactions with the children of Canaan, uh, specifically, and the Hamites, that they were the ones that the giant um, bloodlines were continued through and with. And somehow there had to have been women... Uh, that were able to propagate with Og in some way uh, because we see again the continuation. Even Nimrod was said to be uh, a gibberim and that the Philistine giants, Goliath and his brothers were later born of this particular bloodline as well as um, a god, the, the Amal Amal Amalekite king, who was spared by, um, who was spared by Saul, and because of that, um, you know, he had his kingdom taken from him, and David was raised to be uh, to take on the status of king and to take over Saul's kingdom. But we see that in the story of Esther, that Mordecai and his battle against Haman, when Haman was trying to slaughter uh, and have all of the Jews in the king of Ahasuerus, uh, the, the king who betrothed and married Esther, that um, he was plotting and he was a child of Agad. And so because Saul spared Agad, uh, this particular king, he, for whatever reason, his bloodline continued through Haman, and the, you know, the the Jewish peoples were put at risk, uh, even at a later time, and so you know these show the the consequences of not fulfilling and following through with the orders that God had given and commanded to us, but that. There are giants even in existence now. And so the perpetuation of giants uh, is ongoing. And how all of that plays out, certainly we don't know. And I don't, you know, I, I do agree with Rob that there was not another Genesis 6 Sons of Gods 
uh, coming down and mating with the daughters of Cain and creating a race of giants because that was a special um, episode. And if you read the Kebra Nagas, it tells us that the Watchers were placed into bodies of flesh, given male bodies, which is something that does not usually happen when you know the angels descend and leave their place of habitation. But because they challenged Christ to allow them to come, uh, it was a special, you know, a special episode and part of the history of what turned out to be um, that led to the birth and the presence of the, the men of renown into uh, the, you know, the annals of and the legends of history. Um, but certainly we haven't seen a repeat of that, even though. We know that, you know, the angelic visitations, even the extraterrestrial abduction phenomenon, that kind of ongoing theme is part of the interdiction of um, the angels with the children of humanity. And that, that kind of stuff is still happening, even in this day and age. But um, again, there's not a, a, a massive repeat of where 200 watchers or 200 angels or, you know, a group of angels were released and then all making a pact to take wives of all which they chose, um, they created and brought into the world what is said to be at the time of the flood um, in Second Baruch. It says that 409,000 giants were killed by the flood. Uh, and that there was a hundred thousand giant war um, at that time, and so there were massive numbers and uh, of giants, and their presence was felt everywhere, and their evil and their appetites and their destructive mannerisms were to such degree that God could not just simply allow them to be a part of the fabric of creation because they would have destroyed everything and they would have cannibalized and consumed all of humanity and so for that reason he did bring the flood and restore harmony to the plane of the earth and then allow uh, Noah and his family to go forth and to replenish and to repopulate the earth thank you next question is from Jason I have a question about the two people that come against the Antichrist with Enoch being his original size when he was taken away, or will he be similar size to us? We, that's, a, that's a really great question, and nobody knows the answer for that. Um, because, again, yes, Enoch, he lived 365 years, even to the point where he was translated by the Most High. And certainly that the first ten generations of Adam, they were of very much larger stature. And so does that have a part to play in the return of Enoch and Elijah as the two witnesses at the end of days? I don't know. There's not any specifics uh, related in scriptures as to the size of the two witnesses other than they will be 
they will point out in that time and to that generation that indeed this is the Antichrist, the false messiah, and that he wars and is a killer of the saints. And for that, he slaughters them and leaves their bodies lying three and a half days in the streets of Jerusalem. Um, if people want to know more about the the story of the two witnesses and their war against the Antichrist at the end of days, the apocalypse of Elijah goes into great detail on this story and does specifically name Enoch and Elijah as the two witnesses of those times, uh, as does a number of other manuscripts, the Revelation of St. John, the Theologian, the Vision of Daniel, the 14th Vision of Daniel, um, many other texts. And as I, I have these listed also in The Great Contest One, The War in Heaven, uh, there's a chapter on the two witnesses of Revelation 11, which share numerous texts, which affirm without a doubt that Enoch and Elijah are these two witnesses. Thank you. Next question is from Chris. We are still in this fallen system. How do we opt out when the Sabbath is on a Wednesday? How do we keep the Sabbath when we have to work? That's a great question. It's one that many people have been concerned about. And in my opinion, the reason that God set apart the Sabbath um, from the normal routine of what everybody uh, does in their regular life is because he wanted us to have a day where we could worship and focus on and be with him in study and mind and heart and prayer. And so it's my opinion that even for those of you that are working and that are trying to maintain uh, Sabbath according to the you know, the cycles of the moon, uh, which I do believe without a doubt that the moon is the arbiter and the determiner of when the Levitical feast days and festivals and Sabbaths actually occur, and that the reason it's difficult for us to follow is because the Sabbaths have been changed and that our culture and our civilization has been altered so that the cycles of our daily routines are divorced from the phases of the moon and no longer in sync with it. Um, but those, again, those that are trying to follow along, it's my opinion that if you have to work, just keep your heart and your mind and your focus and your attention on God. And if you are able to, while you are working, to listen to uh, podcasts or to listen to you know, the Bible on in Word, um, or to something of a godly nature, a, a sermon from some pastor or preacher or minister that you really enjoy and that um, puts you in that space where you are Holy Spirit inspired and moved, and that you are in communion with the Most High in sharing that kind of time and space, that this is what I believe God wants us to do. And, you know, if you can, if you do have the time off, um, or 
if you can gather with others and worship and celebration. Um, but for me, and during the Sabbath, I like to dedicate my time to reading and studying and being present, uh, being present outside with the creation, because that to me is my connection to church. I I believe that being out in the creation uh, unites me to what is the the giant family, the great mystery that is all things, and that um, I feel there the presence of the Most High, and you know I see within the creation the feel of the wind and the sun and um, how all that really feels to me. Um, that is my way of communing with the Most High. And so I choose to study the scriptures and to spend that time um, just being present in the creation and being part of what is the the living prayer of the moment, uh, the now that is happening. Uh, even, you know, right now we are sharing this moment of prayer and worshiping and showing gratitude and praising our God. And so I think that that's what's important and that people should try to place themselves in that kind of a space if they can. Uh, and however, and whatever, whatever you do that does that for you, um, that there's ways, even if we're working, that we can kind of get into this mindset. Um, so do the best that you can. And, you know, even though I believe, yes, the Sabbath is from dawn to dusk and is celebrated during the daytime, uh, if you're not able to, even sharing, you know, 10, 15 minutes, uh, 20 minutes, an hour of prayer sometime within that day just to acknowledge the sanctity of Sabbath and that you are trying to uphold the commandment to you know, to set it apart and to honor it. Uh, I, God knows what you're doing. He knows your heart. He knows where you are in relationship to him. And, um, you know, he knows that we're trying our best um, in trying to appease him and honor him and to follow his commandments. So, Thank you. Next question is from Chris. How far do you take it? The very names of the days of the week are taken from Greek, Germanic, and Roman gods. Old English is Wooden's Day, Germanic. I'm not sure if that was only partial of a question. Did you understand that question? Um, other than with regard to, you know, again, with the, the calendar and even the names of the days of the week, they are all pagan. Yes, without a doubt. And in the Hebrew, the days are simply numbered. That the, um, you know, they're numbered. Um, the first day of the lunar month is the Rosh Kadesh, where the waxing crescent appears. And then the following six days, the working days leading up to the first quarter Sabbath, they're just numbered one through six. Um, and, you know, and these days are the, you have the first, which is the Rosh Kadesh, and then the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh, 
leading up to the first quarter Sabbath, which is on the 8th. And then you have six more working days, and they are simply numbered as well on the Hebrew calendar. Uh, you know, so you have, in, in like for the month of Nisan, you have Nisan 1, which is the Rosh Kadesh, and then Nisan 2, Nisan 3, Nisan 4, and there's not actual pagan days associated to that. And so if you are wanting to, which um, I'm sorry to have to inform all of you that um, Lulu just had an update and the calendar is no longer available through their format. And so I'm going to have to figure out a different way to to do that and to make it available for those of you that are interested in wanting to follow along. But as of right now, I don't know uh, how or if we are going to be able to replicate the calendar as we've been doing over the the last few years. I know that the print ones that we've made available to you have greatly assisted all of you that follow it to come to know the names of the Hebrew months and the days and the way that Sabbath aligns to the quarterly phases of the moon and also how, you know, the, uh, for instance, Pentecost coming up, how the seven perfect uh, weeks are uh, unfold, the counting of the Omer and things of that nature. Um, and so those of you that did get it, uh, you know, I'm glad that you did while it was available. But as of right now, we're not able to reproduce uh, the calendars in the previous format. And so uh, that's something I'll have to figure out, um, you know, how to do that and to make it available again. But um, and but for those that are trying to follow the Enochian lunar solar calendar, again, we don't, they don't call the days as we do, you know, Monday, Sunday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Those are all pagan names for the days. And they honor the celestial deities that were part of the pantheon of these pagan gods and goddesses. Um, but, you know, again, uh, with regard to, I think that, you know, not following the Gregorian calendar and at least being familiar with the Enochian calendar and following it and learning about it, that this is... Um, the best we can do uh, as far as trying to learn what I believe God established for us and that the luminaries determine this, what is this clockwork system, the mechanism of how the days and the weeks and the months unfold and how they are determined by the luminaries. And so uh, that's why we did the work that we did with the calendar um, and People have asked us if there's a book available that I wrote specifically on the calendar. Um, and the only one that I have available is the Flat Earth as Key to Decrypt the Book of Enoch. And it's that book that goes through how I learned about the calendar system in decrypting the book on the courses of the Heavenly Luminaries. But we do have an author, Diane Culver, who wrote Yahweh's Unique Timepiece Explained. 
And the reason I haven't yet written a book on the calendar is because she did such a remarkable job in bringing forth uh, and writing and sharing and confirming that this was the calendar system that was restored to Moshe and the Israelites during the Exodus. And so um, study and look at and examine her work because, you know, it is in alignment with my own with regard to the calendar and uh, this particular topic in Revelation. Thank you. And I want to also remind everyone that on our website, each month we do update that particular month's um, Enochian calendar. So you can find that for free on sacredwordpublishing.com. And in the top menu, you'll see Enochian calendar. Um, There you can also click to purchase the digital 2020 Enochian seasonal lunar solar calendar. Um, and that will be the full uh, 12 months. So those are two options for you while you wait till we can figure out how to print it again. But with that, the next question is, is the lunar solar calendar only able to be figured out with extra biblical resources? The directions aren't in the Torah? Um, well, with regard to the Torah, they... Uh, the confirming witness for that they are in the Torah are found in extra biblical sources. Like for instance, the the book of Jasher tells us that it was on the first day of the month of the second month on Rosh Kadesh that the Israelites began their seven day march against Jericho, which you know makes absolute sense because if the Sabbath was one in every seven days then God would be breaking his own commandment in telling them to march for seven days because one of those days would have been Sabbath. But on the Enochian lunar solar calendar, if you begin the march on the first day of the lunar month, which is excluded from the seven days uh, leading up to the the other quarterly Sabbaths, uh, then that is perfectly fine. And in fact, that is exactly what we see, that on they began their march against Jericho on the Rosh Kadesh, and then you have the following six days leading up to what is the eighth day and the first quarter Sabbath. And so it was after their victory of these seven days that on the very next day they celebrated and enjoyed their conquest by honoring Sabbath. And so um, it's things like that that confirm that the Exodus account, uh, that they were restored and given the Enochian lunar solar calendar. Because again, certain stories only fit in line with how the calendar um, works according to, you know, its divisions and its determinations by the moon. Uh, For instance, we have in Leviticus 23, when we are given the timings and when to honor and observe uh, these particular feast days, that um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's part of the Passover festival, uh, those seven days, it occurs on the 15th of Nisan, and that is always on the full moon. Uh, But that's only if you are following and allowing the first day of every lunar month 
to be in alignment with the waxing crescent. And if you do that, then the first Sabbath is the first quarter Sabbath, which occurs on the 8th. And then the 15th is always the full moon Sabbath. And we see that the uh, the Feast of Sukkot, as well as uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, both of those are always in alignment with the full moon. And so um, these kind of things, as well as the story of when the manna was given, um, how it was, you know, given on the six days and then uh, a double portion would be given on the sixth day because they were not to go out and to gather on the seventh day, which was the Sabbath, the first quarter. Uh, it shows to you again that they were on in, in, on the lunar calendar because it's only by following and maintaining the lunar calendar that you have every 15th as being a Sabbath. Um, and every 8th, 15th, 22nd, and 29th on the lunar calendar is a Sabbath. Whereas on the Gregorian calendar, um, Sabbaths will fall on any day uh, of the week if you are following a pattern where the months are determined by Rosh Kadesh. And so, um, yeah, you can, if you look at and examine and study Things like uh, Isaiah chapter 66, where it says, you know, that in the millennial reign, we will be following a calendar that uh, it goes from Kadesh to Kadesh and Sabbath to Sabbath. Uh, Things of that nature, how the courtyard was opened on the new moons and the Sabbaths. You see that the Enochian calendar is encoded into the word, but the specifics on how it works and how to observe it are not. And so, you know, another reason why people have to study things like the Book of Enoch, which is what led me to this discernment. Uh, Even the Book of Jubilees also makes mention um, uh, of in chapter 6 of how knowledge of the calendar and the Sabbaths would be lost. Um, And so, you know, another reason to read and study the extra-biblical material is to gain knowledge on the workings of the Enochian lunar solar calendar. And so, in my opinion, you know, it's one of those things like serpent seed and pre-existence and uh, biblical cosmology that if you study other outside sources, you do find that these things are encoded within the canonical materials, uh, but just misinterpreted, mistranslated, and misunderstood. Thank you. Next question is from Sharon. What words of encouragement can you give for those of us who are frightened of the future? I work in sales and the thought of having to take a vaccine or wear a mask even terrifies me. Well, I think having a slight fear um, can be healthy in that if you are using that fear to lean on the Most High and to put your trust and the faith into Him. Because God takes care of and can do all things. And with Him, all things are possible. And I think that, you know, if you have a knowledge of 
even salvation through Christ, there's really nothing to fear. I mean, yes, these are going to be uncertain times. Yes, they're going to be, according to the Bible, the worst times that have ever been. But, you know, on the opposite side of that, once we get past that, we're going to be in an eternal age where there's going to be no more suffering, no more death, no more aging, uh, no more disease, no more money, no more, you know, matrix, no more evil or death or, you know, wickedness in high places or legion. Uh, I mean, things are going to be and get so much better. We just have to get over the hump. And uh, yeah, these things are going to be trying, but Again, you know, we just have to endure to the end. And my, um, my hope is in Christ, and my um, trust is in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And my work is to encourage those of you that are out there that are fearful, that are not knowledgeable on the Scripture, that have not yet learned to place your complete faith and your trust uh, on God and to release your worries to him and, and to know that all things work for the glory of the Most High, that we've got nothing to be fearful of. Uh, fear only him that can kill the body and kill the soul because uh, it's annihilation that we don't want to face. And that is, you know, the sentence and the judgment that is awaiting uh, even the rebel angels and the watchers that joined uh, Lucifer in, you know, wanting to be like the Most High, to be as gods themselves, to not want to serve but to rule. Um, that, you know, really read the scriptures, they will encourage you. Uh, and even though the prophecies of what is coming uh, they you know can be fearful still i find comfort in reading and knowing that um that the apostles the saints and that the people of god they will be preserved and that they will be numbered with the elect they will be allowed to enter into the promise of new jerusalem descending down from the heavens and that all those that are worthy will be numbered with the elect and that will reign with Christ for that thousand years. Um, I would encourage people to read chapters 2 and 3 in the Wisdom of Solomon that talk about the sentence which is levied upon uh, both those that are the children of perdition and those that are the children of promise. Because the Gospels encourage those that are the people of God, which is why you want to be in relationship with the Most High. You want to be part of the sheep, part of those that hear his voice. You want to be the wise virgin that has uh, oil for the lamp and the wicks trimmed and that is awaiting vigilantly for the return of the bridegroom. Because, you know, again, even though one-third of all of the gospel is written for the end-time generation. We know that through our King and our Lord, we win. 
and that the meek inherit the earth. And so there's nothing to worry about. These things are written about, and yes, we're going to go through them, but you know, as long as you are uh, and have faith and know that your salvation is secured in Christ, there's no concern. And it's just a matter of doing the best you can during the times that we are living uh, to encourage, empower, and assist others. Learn all that you can. Read and study to show yourself approved, to have deeper relationship with the Most High, and in that way to be the guide and the leader for the upcoming generations, those that are, are going to be curious and want to know more, that you know, as things start to unfold, um, they're going to need true guidance, and they're going to be looking to people that have answers that most are totally unconcerned with. And so uh, study now so that you can be ready for that time. And you will be the light, the beacon that, you know, shows them the way, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel, that it will be through you that what you are seeking from us in this moment, uh, faith and, um, and, you know, just comfort, uh, that in the scriptures it says that we are to share these words and to comfort one another. Um, and, you know, I think that's why those of us that dedicate ourselves and our lives to being the watchman and sounding the trumpet, that uh, that's the best thing we can do for others is to share with them the truth and to comfort and to empower and encourage one another. And I think it's also that it's important for us to gather where we can with others of like mind and to share and to assist and help one another uh, in you know these difficult times to pray for each other. Because uh, I do believe that prayer is very powerful and underutilized and can do and accomplish miracles. And um, I think that we're going to see even greater things accomplished in prayer um, and that the miracles that were spoken about and that occurred during the times of the apostles of Christ and in, in the establishment of the church so long ago that these kind of things will become um, daily occurrence in those times that are coming. Awesome. Thank you. It is 10.02 p.m. Do you think it's a good time to take a quick break? So we'll be right back, everyone. All right. Many truth seekers are constantly studying alone. But there is a place where we can come together. The Digital Readers Club is our online ecclesia meant for those who've forsaken churchianity but still want the closeness of a family to study with. Join us every Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time to put together the puzzle pieces of truth scattered throughout the ancient scriptures.
Your partnership with Sacred Word Publishing goes further than the publishing of ancient manuscripts and weekly video content. You also make a huge impact across the earth in orphanages in Myanmar, India, Uganda, and Kenya. Your support is crucial for the development of the Ecclesia of Real Truth Seekers. We thank you for joining us in hosting Secrets Revealed, Momentary Zen, the Digital Readers Club, Ask Me Anything series, and other shows that have helped lead so many to the truth of salvation. Become even more involved? Please visit patreon.com slash sacredwordpublishing where you can partake in exclusive, interactive, patron-only content and help us continue shining the light of love in this darkened world. Awesome. Thank you uh, for sticking with us through our, our, our break. And we are going to do our giveaway question. What an exciting time. So whoever answers the, this question in the chat first will be the one to get this book shipped to them. And what I mean by this is really dependent on what Zen thinks it should be. So Zen, what book do you think would be a good one to give away tonight hmm, that's a really good question um i think we'll do the great commission one the war in heaven uh, right. because that has you know information about the uh the two witnesses and the antichrist and all of that so awesome okay so great let's see justin great contest one right yes awesome Okay, so the question for tonight was, who was the first Christian martyr other than the Passover lamb in the Bible? And if you know the answer to that question, please do add it to the chat. And the first person that we see to answer correctly will be the one to get the great contest one, right? Yes. Yes, great contest one. Awesome. Great contest one. And as we wait, can you repeat why or why why did you choose the great contest one in the context of tonight's questions? Well, there were questions with regard to Enoch and Elijah and the end times and uh, you know, there being the two witnesses of Revelation 11, and there is specific chapter in that book which does share uh, the stories of that, as well as the confirmation of the apocalypse of Elijah, the 14th vision of Daniel, and the revelation of St. John the Theologian, and others which share and um, bring up in their scriptures that Enoch and Elijah would be specifically the two witnesses of Revelation 11. And then there have, um, you know, the thing on the pre-existence and predestination and election, and that is also found as portion of this particular book. And so I thought it would be appropriate in the overall theme of what has been asked and alluded to in this show. Awesome. 
Awesome. Perfect. And we do have a winner. Drum roll, please. Wow. It is Gnosis. Gnosis answered Stephen. And you are correct, Gnosis. And we've had a lot of correct answers in the chat tonight. Congratulations to everyone. But Gnosis, congratulations especially to you uh, since you get a free book. So if you could please email us at sacredwordpublishingllc.com at gmail.com with your shipping address. We would be happy to send you the great contest one, uh, War in Heaven. It, that is the right one, right? War in Heaven. Yes. Uh -huh. um, and so, yeah, we'll also add that book to the chat. If you are, just in case you're interested in checking that out, you can preview the book as well and read the first couple chapters, I believe, um, just to taste, get a taste of it. But with that said, let's move on to the next question, which is from Stephanie. Regarding the calendar and Sabbath, since Israel numbers the days of each lunar cycle, is it possible that there is literally only one seventh day in each lunar cycle? Could it be possible that since there is only one seventh day in each lunar cycle, that the true Sabbath is only the seventh day from the sighting of the new moon on Rosh, Rosh, Rosh Kadesh? Um, I've heard of this before, but in... In my study with regard to truth and the calendar, um, you know, the Bible says, out of the mouths of two or three witnesses shall the truth be established. And from what I've seen and what I've read uh, with regard to the Sabbaths and how they are associated and determined by the quarterly phases of the moon, that there's a reason why the cycles of the phases uh, of the moon occur in um, you know cycles of seven and it's because there are multiple Sabbaths and in my opinion every lunar month there are four Sabbaths and they align with the first quarter full third quarter and the lunar conjunctive moon and so um, yeah and with regard to there only being one Sabbath occurring you know once on the seventh day or however you know the person determines it um uh, i don't see confirming witness i matter of fact i've not found even one witness for such interpretation so uh that's not my belief or uh, how i view it at all thank you next question is from gnosis how does the Enochian lunar solar calendar align with the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Yeshua to match with his crucifixion on Passover in the three days and three nights prior to his resurrection on the third day? In the Gospels, there appears to be the high Sabbath for Passover slash first fruits as commanded in Torah, and then another customary seventh day Sabbath just prior to when the women returned to his tomb to find him empty. This seems in Hillel 1 terms to explain the three days and three nights, which seems to make sense and fit the gospel narrative. How does the Enochian lunar solar calendar align with this highly significant period in the biblical time to make this correlate to the gospels if Aviv 14 was the second Sabbath from Rosh Kadesh and the next Sabbath not being until Aviv 21? Um, well, the way that the 
event went down and we covered this as well and i'm glad that this person brought this question up because somebody had asked me uh about the sign of jonah and how it says that you know that the sign of jonah would be in similarity to what would be fulfilled by christ that he would be three days and three nights in the um as far as in the the belly of Sheol or, you know, away from his body. Um, but in my opinion, again, looking at reading the story and if, uh, if people want to know in greater context, greater detail, even than what is revealed in the Gospels, I recommend the Gospel of Gamaliel because it covers the passion of Christ in greater depth and with more detail than any of the accounts and even the three gospels that are in the Bible. Um, and it will confirm exactly what I'm telling you here, that Christ was crucified uh, and died about 3 p.m. on the 14th of Nisan, which is traditionally the time that the Passover lamb was slaughtered the blood to mark the doorpost and then prepared for meal. And then he was entombed and found um, before the Sabbath of unleavened bread that, uh, that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had begged for the body from Pontius Pilate and receiving it the night of the 14th of Nisan. They prepared his body uh, for entombment and blessed it with all the frankincense, the myrrh, and all the, the different herbs, the hyssop, those things, and then uh, wrapped it in the linen cloth and uh, the face wrap and all of that and placed it in the tomb right before what is the morning and the dawning of Sabbath on the 15th of Nisan. And then we see that in the story, and this is High Sabbath, um, the 15th of Nisan is always the full moon Sabbath. Because again, according to the lunar calendar, you have the Rosh Kadesh occurring on the first of Nisan. And then you have six working days, and then on the eighth of Nisan is the first quarter Sabbath, six more working days, and then on the 15th of Nisan is the full moon Sabbath. And so... The Feast of Unleavened Bread is always on the full moon Sabbath, according to the Enochian lunar solar calendar. Now, if you're following a Gregorian pagan calendar, you don't know when Sabbath is going to occur. It can occur, you know, uh, whatever day. Um, and it's only by following and locking in the Sabbaths according to the phases of the moon that you get every 15th of Nisan a full moon Sabbath without change, which means that the 16th of Nisan, which is the day that Yehushua was resurrected, uh, that and he, in his resurrection, was the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, and that resurrecting Adam and his descendants with him he brought them to paradise and presented them as the first fruits to his father. And then they were baptized in the Archurusian Lake, allowed to enter into New Jerusalem, where 
in entering, they saw there the thief on the cross, and then they also met inside Enoch and Elijah. Uh, and that's all according to the Gospel of Nicodemus. However, um, being resurrected on the morning after the Sabbath, which is the 15th of Nisan, it's always the, you know, the full moon Sabbath is always on the 15th of Nisan. He was resurrected the morning after the Sabbath, which was um, the 16th of Nisan. And again, there's no pagan days associated with these particular occurrences. The 14th is not every year uh, a Friday. That's absolutely wrong. Um, the 14th is always the day before the full moon Sabbath of the 15th of Nisan. And then the 16th of Nisan is always the day after the full moon Sabbath. And so being resurrected, he was resurrected without there being three full days, three full nights. There were three days, yes, but there was not the unfolding of three full nights. And so, in my opinion, it's not that he did not fulfill the sign of Jonah. It's just that the sign of Jonah, with its being regarded as it's going to be three days and three nights, that this is incorrect. That whoever interpreted or wrote it down in such manner, uh, it does not align with truth. Because he was not in the earth three days and three nights. He was resurrected on the morning after the Sabbath, which was on the third day. And so, um, in my opinion, it's not that Christ and the resurrection and the way that it happened is wrong, but whoever wrote and interpreted um, that, you know, the passage being that it would be three full days and three full nights, that they're wrong. Because, again, that does not align to truth. And so um, it has to be a misinterpretation. And so, again, with regard to looking at the, the scriptures, and um, my friend Diane Culver, she has an entire chapter written in her book, Yahweh's Unique Timepiece Explained, which goes through. Uh, and, in fact, what I'm going to do is I will do a show on this specific topic. I'll read from her book, and I'll bring out all of her passages and all of the sources that she cites in her book to clarify this particular event and its unfolding. Because it is very important, and it's, very, uh, it's critical that people know that, again, it's only according to the Enochian lunar solar calendar that every 15th of Nisan is a full moon Sabbath. If you follow the Gregorian solar calendar, you never know on what day it's going to fall. And it's not that every 15th of Nisan is a full moon Sabbath, because the Gregorian calendar has been divorced from the movements and the tendencies of the moon and has no association or bearing upon where the phases and when waxing crescent or Rosh Kadesh occurs. And so um, that's why I believe that calendar is completely pagan and false and one that I do not follow. And so um, 
one Wednesday within a couple weeks, I'll do a show and I'll clarify all this and I'll bring it forth to you in a way that will familiarize your and I'll also read from the Gospel of Gamaliel to bring forth some of that information so that you can get um, another confirming witness and, um, you know, as, as well as the Gospel accounts that are found in Matthew, Luke, and um, Mark and John. Awesome. I think you basically just answered the next question from Gnosis, which was, can you please also explain the references used to determine Rosh Kodesh being observed as a type of Sabbath? Okay, it's not a type of Sabbath. It is called a Numu Convocation. It's different than Sabbath. Um, it is celebrated in the evening, whereas Sabbath is celebrated from dawn to dusk. And it is a celebrated Numu Convocation is celebrated after the sighting of the waxen crescent, which is in the evening. Um, and so there are distinctions, as well as that on Sabbath, you're not allowed to have a fire or to cook, that you have to eat meals that are prepared the day before, uh, whereas on the New Moon Convocation, that is um, different. And they, they do cook, and they do eat and celebrate and feast and all of that, so... Thank you. Next question is from Paul. And on the fourth day, he created the sun and the moon and the stars and set them in the expanse of the heaven to give light upon all the earth and to rule over the day and night and divide the light from the darkness. And Elohim appointed the sun to be a great sign on the earth for days and for the Shabbathoth and for months and for feasts and for years and for Shabbathos of years, for Jubilees, and for all seasons of the years, Jubilees 2-9 from the Sefer. It seems to say that it is the sun which determines the Sabbaths. Do you agree? No, not at all. And uh, I'll share my reasons why. Let me go to first the Targum. And then I'll read something from the wisdom of Jesus, son of Sirach. So let me pull up this text really quickly so that I can share with you. A lot of calendar questions. Maybe we should uh, give out the Yahweh's unique timepiece explained. Um, uh, allow the person, whoever you know, won to determine if they would rather have that book because, you know, okay. that book goes into great detail on all of what we're talking about. Or maybe we should include both of them or, or give away another one uh, with, you know, um, with Diane's book being the prize for that. But let me pull up this one particular text that I'm talking about and then I'll answer Clearly. But these are all really, really good questions. And uh, Enoch. Yes, we should text. name this uh, episode something about the Enochian calendar since there is yes. a lot of questions that happen to land in this <laughs> yeah. episode. And it's unfortunate <laughs> that, you know, the, the calendar uh, that we're not able to provide that anymore because of the update on 
Lily. All right. Um, first, I'm going to read from the the Targum. Let me make sure I'm reading this the correct. It says, um, And the Lord said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to distinguish between the day and the night. And let them be for signs and for festival times, and for the numbering by them the account of days, and for the sanctifying of the beginning of the months, and the beginning of the years, the passing away of the months, and the passing away of years, the revolutions of the sun, the birth of the moon, and the revolvings of the seasons. Um, okay, so the, it tells us that we are to acknowledge and to allow the festival times, the weeks, the months, and the years to be determined by both of the heavenly luminaries. Because, again, the sun does not determine, uh, nor can you look to it for determination on each of the days um, individually of the months or the weeks. You can only follow the sun according to the seasons because it's the equinoxes and the solstices which um, which it divides and separates and gives us um, you can you know again align as far as when the seasons occur with the vernal equinoxes the beginning of spring the summer solstice the beginning of summer the autumnal equinox, the beginning of um, fall, and then the winter solstice, which is the beginning of, um, of winter. But it is the moon, which if you look at the moon and the way that she changes each day, she shifts by one-seventh portion of light. And so every day, once she appears as a waxing crescent, she will add a one-seventh portion of light. So you can actually watch her fill with light until by the second um, Sabbath, she's, it's on the full moon. And she's completely full of light. And then for the next 14 or 15 days, uh, the next two weeks, she will begin to lose her light by one-seventh portion. And so, you know, again, and the reason uh, she uh, has her phases separated into seventh portions, I mean, into seven-day cycles, is because she is the one that determines um, the Sabbath. And so... Again, only the the moon gives you an acknowledge and, and you can actually see that that happens. It's not the sun that determines that. All right, let me find the other passage that I wanted to find here. And then I'll read from you the passage from the wisdom of Jesus, son of Sirach, which also confirms this. Okay, here we go. It says, and this was 
the the wisdom of Jesus, son of Sirach, is part of the Apocrypha, which was released with the original 80-book King James Version of the Bible. And so one can't say this is not from the Bible, because it, it, it is. Uh, yes, it's one of the apocryphal texts, but there's no reason for the Apocrypha to, be, to have been taken out. The only reason is because they wanted to reduce the size of the Bible so that they could print it uh, easier and, you know, because of the printing press and its availability at that time. And so it was the printers that determined that the Apocrypha needed to be removed from the Bible, not anything else. Certainly wasn't God. All right, so it says this. It is the moon that marks the changing seasons, governing the times, their everlasting sign. From the moon comes the sign for festal days, light that wanes when it completes its course. The new moon, as its name suggests, renews itself. How marvelous it is in this change, a beacon to the hosts on high, shining in the vault of heaven. And so clearly it tells us that it is the moon that determines the festal times, which are the, the feast days. And again, every 15th of Nisan and every 15th of Tishri, those are in alignment with the Sabbath, um, with the full moon Sabbath. And it's only on the Enochian lunar solar calendar that the waxing crescent, where it says here, the new moon, as its name suggests, renews itself. Um, and so it's telling you it's not the lunar conjunctive moon, which is completely void of light, but it is the waxing crescent moon, which is it's renewing itself, repairing itself, and becoming first visible. That is the beginning of the month. And then you have seven days thereafter, the first quarter Sabbath, seven more days thereafter, the full moon Sabbath. Now, we're going to look at even the definition for Kadesh, it comes from the word Kadash, C-H-A-D-A-S-H, which means to be new, causatively to rebuild, to renew, to repair, which is exactly what the moon is doing when it appears as a waxing crescent. It is renewing itself, repairing itself, and rebuilding its light. And we have Philo and Enoch who also confirm this. And I'm not going to read all this because, um, you know, I, I have commented on all this many different times. But I will just share really quickly from Enoch, not Philo, but, you know, again, people can... And I'll, I'll, I'll do a show on this as well at some point. But uh, Enoch says in 72.5, At that time it appears and becomes to you the beginning of the month. Thirty days it is with the sun in the gate from which the sun goes forth. Half of it is in extent seven portions, one half, and the whole of its orb is void of light, except a seventh portion out of the 14 portions of its light. And in a day, it receives the seventh portion or half that portion of its light. Its light is by sevens, by one portion, and by half 
of a portion it sets with the sun. And when the sun rises, the moon rises with it, receiving a half portion of light. On that night, when it commences its period, previous to the day of the month, the moon sets with the sun. And on that night, it is dark in its 14 portions. That is in each half. But it rises on that day with one-seventh portion precisely. And its progress declines from the rising of the sun. During the remainder of its period, its light increases by 14th portion. So the beginning of the month, at Enoch says, is when it appears. At that time, it appears. That's the waxing crescent. And becomes to you the beginning of the month. And so, you know, again, it's not the lunar conjunctive moon like World's Last Chance. Uh, they, you know, follow the lunar conjunctive moon. It is the waxing crescent. And when it first appears, it's rebuilding, repairing itself, um, and restoring itself. And that is, again, the beginning of the month. And that's how the Sabbaths are determined. And um, that's the true calendar, in my opinion, is based upon the movements of the moon. And I'll read one final passage, which confirms that. This is from a text called the Ezekiel the Tragedian. I have to search it here because this is an older version. But let me just pull this up really quickly and then we'll move forward. All right. Actually, it's not in this older version. Uh, let's go ahead and go with the next uh, question, Joy, and then sure. I'll find this in a different, and then we'll. Sounds good. All right, next question is from Joel. In the book of Revelation, when Yeshua is addressing the churches, he refers to doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which he hates. What was this doctrine, and why is it so despised by the Most High? Uh, that's a really good question, and I had at one time um, knew the story of that, and I believe it had something to do with the consumption of blood. Uh, but again, I, I don't remember exactly, and so I don't want to tell somebody something that is wrong. But... Um, I will look that up and I'll come back with a follow-up to that particular question and um, share it with others. But as of right now, I believe it has to do with the consumption of blood as it mentions in Micah chapter 1 um, or actually Micah chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 or 5, something of that nature there. But um, I can't recall right offhand. 
All right. It is time for live questions. And our first right. live question is from Felix Caraballo. Zen, what is your most definitive book on the preatomite existence? Also, a question that's very similar from Fabiola Austin from the live chat was, Zen, what other backing sources do you have besides Genesis 1 in regards to the pre-Adamites that you would recommend those that are learning about the topic to read? Oh, goodness. Um, well, I, if people are interested in this topic, as I said previously, I have written about it in a number of my books. Um, the Great Contest 1, The War in Heaven, the firmament vaulted dome of the earth, paradise sides in the north and the mount of the congregation, uh, as well as um, the sons of God on the reign of the dragon kings, the dragon lords. Uh, however, I would recommend that people be patient for about three months. And I have been working diligently over the last few um, weeks to get this book out. And so hopefully the I'll have within three months this particular book out. And then you can read and study. And I did a show even last night where I covered uh, the pre-Adamites and the world that then was. And I spoke about from numerous sources and I even read what would be the chapters and I guess I could do that really quickly for those of you that are so interested in this topic um, is that going to be the name of the book just so that people can keep a look it will be that? the pre-Adamites and the antediluvian world awesome and we can actually go ahead and allow pre-orders because I'm pretty sure I'm going to finish this book very soon, probably three months time if I work diligently. But um, the index for this particular book, just to give people an idea, and this is only tentative. I'm sure that things will change the names of the particular chapters, but here's the outline for what I have so far for this book. Uh, the Celestial Insurgency, which is the Angelic Rebellion. Why the War in Heaven, Light Be. Iniquity was found within them. Uh, the War in Heaven, the Separation of Good and Evil. The Sons of Light and the Sons of Darkness. The Emerald Tablets. The Reign of the Dragon Lords. World Empire. The Platonian Dialogues, Discourses. Atlantis Destroyed. The Colbrin Scroll of Thothis, uh, the Emerald Tablets, um, Tablet 1, The World That Then Was, A Formless Wasteland and an Indistinguishable Ruin, Be Fruitful, Multiply, and Replenish, The Thracian Chronicles, The Book of Navi, and then The Unearthing of Mu. And so, if any of you are familiar with you know, these particular topics and these particular, um, as far as these chapter headings, you'll see that I begin again with the war in heaven, how the earth was destroyed, became a deserted wasteland and indistinguishable ruin, and then how the earth was recreated, uh, then 
how the dragon lords reigned on the earth even before the creation of the Preadamites and how they tried to change and to enslave these particular peoples, these hominids. And then we have the modern creation of Adam and Eve. Um, and then, you know, the how, at, well, before that, we have, um, of course, the Atlantean kingdoms that were ruled over by the fallen angels, all of those being destroyed. We have the ancient sources like the Emerald Tablets One, the Scroll of Thothis, and Plato, which talk about this world empire and its destruction. Um, and then leading up to what is the pre-Adamites in the modern age and the enmity between the seed lines, all that is covered um, in greater detail and complexity. And already this book, let me see how many pages it is. Already it is 417 pages. So there's quite a bit of material. And this is... Without me even, you know, I still have a lot of commentary and I'm doing the proofreading and I'm adding additional material to uh, these things. But I have already put together the chapters, as I said, according to that outline. And um, I just have to proofread, smooth out and, you know, present the story in a manner that comes together, um, streamlined and and presents the the fullness of the story in the way that I want this book to to share it and then it will be ready but you know it gives you an idea as to the topics covered and how much information will be within it so just be patient 3 months and you can just get this book instead of getting all of those other uh different books not that I don't recommend you get those as well because you know there are so many answers on so many different topics. Um, but with this uh, focus uh, on this particular discourse, just wait, and I'll have this done soon. Hopefully, God willing. Awesome. Yes, I just put on our list of to-dos to add the pre-order for the pre-Adamite book onto the website. So as soon as we do that, which will hopefully be soon, we'll make sure to share it. Um, share the link. So, yeah, keep a lookout for that. But the next question is from MJM. Where in the Bible does it say Adam was created on day eight? And also, was Garden of Eden originally in heaven or on earth? Um, the Garden of Eden, with regard to the place that they were cast down to, was on the earth. But the place that they were originally, um, as far as the Garden of God, paradise that is in the third heaven which is new jerusalem which is above the vaulted dome of the earth and with regard to the eighth day adam this is something that is specific to the gnostic text and to my book the sons of god and it's only mentioned in the bible as to the fall of humanity and what is described with regard to the three creations of Adam, which is a mystery that you know most people don't understand, um, it's found again in the Gnostic text, and it speaks about Adam of light, which is Yahushua, because uh, he was the original Adam, 
And even in Ezekiel chapter 1, it says that when Ezekiel saw God sitting on his throne, he described him as being Adam, um, because that is the word for man. And that's who we were made in the image of. And so Christ is Adam of light. He is the immortal, the preexistent, the one that we were made in the image of. And then there's the second Adam, which is the sixth day Adam. And this Adam was immortal um, and bright natured up until his fall. And it was after he was tempted with Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil um, that they came under the authority of death. They lost their bright nature and they took on mortal form. And according to the story, it was after the Sabbath that they were cast down uh, and their bodies transformed. And the eighth day Adam is the Adam of dust. And so Adam of dust is that which came into physical embodiment and placed under the authority of death would succumb to death. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about and you want to know more, then the only place you're going to get that information is in the sons of God, because I do explain this mystery and how to understand it according to not only the biblical narrative, but to what is revealed in the Gnostic sources. Because the Gnostic texts speak about the fall of Adam and his being banished here to the earth where he was already, uh, where the devils and demons had already been cast down to. And so Adam, um, the Adam in the Bible was in paradise, in above the vaulted dome of the earth and with the Most High God, with the Father, the Son. And when he was cast out, he was removed from the place of the immortals where the tree of life was. And so the story of the banishment of Adam in the Bible is different from the story of the elevation of Adam, which is found in the Gnostic text. And I know this is difficult to understand because there's so much information you have to read and make sense of to even understand what I'm talking about. Um, but I have done shows for those that are familiar with uh, the Nakamati Codices, if you want to understand how to interpret them according to what is also revealed in the Bible, um, that, again, you have to have the foundational knowledge of the fall of humanity as cited in the Bible, and then to understand that what is talking about in the Nakamati Codices is not the fall of humanity from paradise, but the fall of humanity once they are already banished here to the earth and they are elevated from their fallen status. And the spirit, the Holy Spirit, Sophia, goes to Adam to explain to him the place that he had fallen from. Because when we enter into flesh form, we are required to drink from the cup of forgetfulness. And in doing so, we forget all of our memories of our previous incarnation, our spiritual embodiment before we came into flesh form. And so this is um, something that I expound upon in my seventh book, The Angels of Destiny on Preexistence, Election, and Predestination. And those, books, those two books together, my sixth, The Sons of God, and 
the seventh Skyfall uh, will help you to better understand what I'm talking about if you are interested in this topic. But, you know, it's a very advanced teachings. Uh, for those that just want to get a grasp of the bigger picture, I recommend The Great Contest 1 and The Great Contest 2 because that will help you to understand how the war in heaven ties together with the enmity between the seed lines and also connects to where we are now with the war against the elites. Um, and if you don't understand this information and you go to try to read those other books, you're just going to confuse yourself. And so get a foundation on what is revealed in the Bible first. Thank you. Next question is from Wendy Mattoli. What do you say about the Christophonies, angel of the Lord, in the Old Testament? Do you believe that is Jesus Christ pre-human? Um, the what of the angel of the Lord? The Christophony? What, what is that? that? It says Christophonies. I'm not really sure. C-H-R- Christophonies. Justin just said, like Michael. Is that what you said? People believe Michael is Christ. Uh, no, I don't believe that at all. Michael is uh, an angel. Christ is the pre-existing God that was part of the Holy Trinity. And Christ made the angels. Uh, as it says in the Gospel of Barnabas, uh, it shows that... Um, you know, Beliar, he describes how the Son, the Word of the Lord, had created him as the first, the foremost, the archangel, and then Michael, Raphael, Uriel thereafter. Um, but no, uh, Michael and Christ are not the same. And Christ is the Word of the Lord, not uh, the angel of the Lord. Thank you. Next question is from Facts Not Fiction. Approximately when will, when will the rapture take place? Will this be at the 3.5 year midpoint or at some point in time between the 3.5 years till the final seventh year? 3.5. Oh, sorry. 3.5 years. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, in my opinion, and this was something that I covered on the Pre-Adamite show as well the world that then was, because I spoke about Second Thessalonians and how it reveals in that scripture that it is after the great, after there's a falling away and that the man of sin is revealed and that the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation, declares himself as God in the temple of God. That, in my opinion, this will all happen on the last day. Um, and that... The last day is when the seventh trump is sounded and that um, that's when the church is raptured and caught up to be with Christ in the air as he's coming to bring judgment upon the wicked and those not written into the books of life. And then together we watch with him what is the destruction of the earth and the heavens. And I went into great detail, you know, showing from Second Peter, that he speaks about how the earth and the heavens will be destroyed by fervent heat, and that there will be a new heavens and a new earth when Christ descends down to the earth, and then all the dead are gathered 
and brought before him as he takes his judgment seat. And so, the, in my opinion, the rapture occurs on what is the last day, the great and terrible day of the Lord, and that it is after the man of sin is revealed and uh, the abomination of desolation um, comes forth to declare himself as God in the temple of God. And then the two witnesses, Enoch and Elijah, will come forth to convict the Antichrist and to declare him as a false messiah. They are killed in the streets of Jerusalem, and I believe this event will occur at the midpoint of the Great Tribulation in the last seven years, and that this will be at the three-and-a-half-year mark. However, the rapture of the church, in my opinion, is on the very last day, and that this is when the wrath of God is to be poured out on the wicked. And we, you know, again, we find confirmation of this if we just... uh, Let me pull up something here. If you just go to your King James and search last day, it tells us in John chapter 6 many times, it says, And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And so, my opinion, again, the protection of the church occurs when the um, the last trumpet is sounded, the seventh trump, which occurs on Yom Terah, the Feast of Trumpets, the day that no man knoweth, uh, that, you know, the day, uh, the coming of the Lord like a thief in the night. Uh, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. So, you know, when it says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord, in my opinion, that's when the church is caught up. And then we see the wrath of God poured out on the wicked and those not written into the books of life. The stars come crashing down to the earth, set everything ablaze. All the mountains are made low, the seas elevated and raised up. Um, and, you know, again, the revelation of St. John the Theologian and the Sibling Oracles book, too. The Great Commission 3, the end-time apocalypses, all cover this in great detail. And I do speak about this in Paradise, Sides of the North and the Mouth of the Congregation, as to the timing of, you know, when there will be a new heavens and a new earth. But it's all found in the ancient sources, and they confirm it in the way that um, I speak about it, even in this last show that was last night, uh, Wednesday evening. So go check it out. Awesome. Thank you. Next question is from Wendy Matt Tully. Can you verify or talk about the tabernacle measurements and the equivalency of the Jewish calendar and how we can use those measurements of cubits to the years? No, I can't. I'm sorry. I'm not familiar enough um, to declare with any, you know, um, any 
kind of discernment. I would ask Andy Hoy about this because he's studied the tabernacle in greater detail. And so that would be a question for him. Awesome. Next question is from Seven's Pattern. Like, I would like to hear your thoughts of the seven patterns. What seven patterns? No clue. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm Next. Not really sure. Next question from Strumble. Will we remember this life like we had to take the cup of forgetfulness for this life here? Uh, we will not drink from the cup of forgetfulness anymore. And yes, we will have full remembrance of this life. And when Christ comes again, we will be restored to the memories of our former embodiment, and we remember everything going back to the beginning, even to the moment where the creation became visible and all the morning stars, which are us, shouted for joy. Thank you. Next question is from Momana. I'm very interested in what you think about Paul and if he is a false prophet. Uh, Paul is not a false prophet. In my opinion, you can... Get confirmation of this in the uh, the epistles of the apostles. This was something that Rob and I spent um, an entire segment on, 30 minutes, in the first show that we did last night uh, on the, the book of Enoch. Uh, we spent the first 30 minutes talking about this because I know this is a controversy that has been coming to light in which many people have been talking about it. Um, but I am not in agreement with it, and I explain why in that particular show. And I also do read from the Epistle of the Apostles where it describes Christ telling the apostles how they will uh, meet Saul and how he wants him to be healed and that he will be stood up to be um, a, a messenger to the Gentiles and that he will be a man of great truth and discernment and in doing the work of the Lord. So, and that's the Epistles of the Apostles, chapters 31 through 34, I believe is what I read in that show. But please do check out that show because um, you'll get greater answer in that first 30-minute segment than I can present here. Thank you. All right. And just so you know, we are planning on cutting that small portion since there has been such a huge interest and a lot of people have been reaching out and asking that same question via email. So we are going to cut that portion out and create a separate video um, just specifically answering um, uh, what you think about Paul and if he's a false prophet and all of that. So yeah, that's, um, a great hope idea. that's helpful to everyone, but it is 10.58 p.m., if you could please close us out in prayer, that would be fantastic. Yes, um, Father God, we just love you so very much, and we thank you. We humble ourselves before you again for the opportunity to come together in this ecclesia in this manner. And I thank all of the people that took the time to send us their questions and to uh, inquire about the things that they've been interested in and that they've not been able to get answer upon from other sources. I do consider it a great honor to be able to fill these questions in this way and to have the attention of so many from all across the world and the confidence uh, of so many in that they trust um, the investigation, the examination, the studies that I, I've done um, 
But I do ask of them to, you know, to even doubt those things that I proclaim, those things that I say, and to go forth and study it for themselves, to go before you in prayer, Lord, and to ask you to lead and to guide them in discernment, to help them through the Holy Spirit to seek and find, and that we know only you can be trusted, Lord, and that you have revealed the truth, the end and the from the beginning through your prophets, through your patriarch, through the apostles, and that you've answered everything in the fullness of what is the scriptures that are everywhere scattered in all the countries of the world, and that there are ancient sources and that there are ancient monasteries, even now, that preserve your word in ways that are not accessible to us. And Lord, I do pray that even those ancient texts come to light and that digital copies are made available and that we can continue to study and learn more and more about your secrets and your revelations and all of what you have revealed to us as the last generation, the end times, uh, the people that would be alive during what is the blooming of the fig tree. And I just pray, Lord, that we can sound the trumpet of truth to those that are seeking answer and wanting direction, and that we can continue to work as scribes, as a family of scribes, on your behalf to serve the kingdom and to bring others to discernment and relationship with you. And it's all about glorifying you, Lord, and bringing people to the truth of salvation through Christ. And we are so grateful that you sent the Son to be the Passover lamb, to fulfill your feast days, to fulfill your holy days and your festivals, and to uh, to restore us to our first estate and to bring us back to our glorified being. We're grateful and we look forward to uh, eternity and through uh, the millennial reign, the coming, the second advent and the return of Christ. And we do pray for the world, Lord, and these are strange times and people are suffering and um, children uh, are having a hard time and uh, it's just the uncertainty but let us always not be fearful lord but just trust trust in you to give our confidence in you to turn over our worries and our concerns to you and to know that you will take care of all things that all we have to do is seek the kingdom first and everything else will take care of itself in your name the father the son and the holy spirit Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Zen, and thank you everyone who joined us for these last two hours. And if you uh, asked a question, we thank you for your question. I know we didn't get to a lot of your questions tonight. And if we did not, please do email us at sacredwordpublishingllc at gmail.com. Normally, we have a couple months out before we can get to them, but we actually have availability for next month's show. So if you uh, email in the question now, we can most likely get it on next month's show. So please do do that. Um, And we just appreciate everyone so much. We're so grateful for you. And thank you again, Zen. And we'll see you guys next month. My great honor. Be blessed, all. Shalom. Shalom. Good night. Good night. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this 
video and this broadcast. We appreciate all of you and thank you for your patronage. Please do like and subscribe and share with your friends. God bless all of you and your seeking.